This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Gang, grab your Bibles here to the book of Joshua tonight, if you would. Joshua chapter 6 is where we're going to start off with, and we're going to get into a little bit of, actually, the whole chapter of Joshua chapter 7. I was talking with some folks this afternoon, and I said, tonight's message is a pretty heavy message. And then I thought to myself, I think every message this week is going to be a pretty heavy message. Uh, the Bible's a heavy book, um, and it, it's very easy to find something uh, light to say about the Bible, you know, that, uh, that God loves everybody, God wants you to be happy, God wants you to be blessed, and all those things are true, but we also need to look at the hard things in the Bible. And I think we begin to grow as Christians when we look at the hard things in the Bible. Uh, we begin to grow as Christians when we take a hard look inside our own hearts. We grow as Christians when we ask difficult questions of ourselves. And that's what I'm asking you to do tonight. Uh, tonight, uh, again, uh, each week we're taking a look at our perspective. Last night we took a look at an upward look and looked for the glory of God. And I hope as you went through the day today, you were on the lookout for the glory of God. And I was thankful last night, uh, uh, one of the uh, lady who came to our church for the first time last night came and she got assurance of her salvation. She said, I'm not 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. And after uh, Kathleen had the opportunity to share the gospel with her, she came up to me after and she said, Pastor, I know 100% I'm going to heaven. I said, how do you know? She said, because I know that Jesus is my Savior. And I thought, man, Praise God, that's the glory of God on display for you and I. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. Man, I, I went out today and uh, took my kids to school and just driving down the freeway where I'd normally be frustrated with traffic and how slow it's moving, uh, I was struck with the fact of the glory of God. Funny enough too, on my commute today, after dropping my kids off at school, I was also not only smitten by the glory of God, I think I was also struck by my own sinful heart. It's funny to think, like, like really, like, what are you talking about? As I drove, uh, this is, this is going to sound really silly on the, the surface, but as I drove, the traffic in the right five lanes was bumper to bumper, stuck, nobody moving hardly at all. The carpool lane with a little diamond in it was zipping right along. I was the only person in my car, but I thought to myself, I could get home so much faster if I would just get in that lane and go. And I had my ways open on my, my dash, and I saw that there were no police officers up ahead. And I thought to myself, I'm just going to get over there. I got stuff to do. I got places to be today. I got stuff going on. I can't just sit in traffic all day. And I stopped. And I thought to myself, I can't just break the law because I have unique circumstances in my life. This is part of the problem. When I get frustrated with the guy in front of me because he's not moving fast enough or he's letting too many people in or he's had his blinker on forever and he's not actually turning and I, I'm so frustrated that I grip my steering wheel harder. I think to myself, Anthony, who do you think you are? Are you so important that everybody needs to move out of your way? Are you so important that you, the laws don't apply to you because you're so special? And no lie, no lie. I sat in traffic this morning and I repented to God for my proud spirit that the rules don't apply to me because I'm special that other people frustrate me because they don't have going on what I've got going on. Nobody's as important as I am to get stuff done. Nobody else has anything to do today except for me. And I stopped and I thought to myself, and you look at that and you go, oh my goodness, are you really saying that? Here's the problem. 
when I have a spirit of pride and I think the rules don't apply to me, that doesn't just stay in the carpool lane. That bleeds over into every area of life. That now I get frustrated with people uh, at the bank because my time's important and they're wasting my time. Now I get frustrated with people uh, at Long's because uh, they can't understand. Shopping bags cost 15 cents. Come on, it's been this way for years. What's the big deal? And I get frustrated and bleeds over. But then I begin to think that other things don't apply to me. I can make excuses for my own sinful condition because my life is different. For whatever reason, I'm the exception to the rule. And that begins to bleed over into other areas. So that's why we gotta stop and say, what's going on in my heart? What do I need to be aware of? Let's take a look at the book of Joshua tonight. Uh, God is getting ready to give them one of the greatest victories uh, that we've seen thus far up into the Old Testament. The book of Joshua, God tells them, you're gonna go to the city of Jericho and you're gonna walk around the city of Jericho for six days. On the seventh day, you're gonna walk around it seven times and then you're gonna blow the trumpets. The walls are gonna fall and you get to take the city. It's all yours. It's one of the great victories that Joshua got to see early on in his leading of the children of Israel. It was, it's monumental. It's a story that we teach to kids in Sunday school about how a great victory, and we, we talk about marching around the city and blowing the trumpet, and then the walls fall down. But God had some guidelines for him to follow. If you take a look at Joshua chapter 6, uh, verse number 16. It came to pass the seventh time that the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord hath given you the city, verse 17, and the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. Fascinating story on her. We don't have time to get into tonight. She and all that are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that were sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourself accursed. When you take the accursed thing and make the children of the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord and they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So then the priest blew the, and the, the walls fell and they shouted and they took over the city and, they, and God says, don't touch anything in it. It's all accursed. But the gold, the silver, the brass, bring that into the house of the Lord. That belongs to God. Don't mess with it. Everything else, leave it, let it be. Fast forward to uh, chapter seven, verse one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan. He's gonna become really important in this story. The son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Achan. You know what it says? No, against the children of Israel. That's a big deal too. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now this, they set up shop in Jericho is now their base of operations. He sent them over to Ai, which is beside Beth Haven on the east of Bethel, and spake unto them saying, go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, let not all the people go up. God, hey, we don't have to send everybody, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to lay, labor thither, for there are but a few. It's just a handful of guys over there. We don't have to send everybody. Just send a couple thousand guys. We'll, we'll smoke them and it'll be over with. Verse four, so they went up thither 
about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote them, about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even to Shebarim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. They sent 3,000 guys over there, and they realized really quickly they were outmatched, not outnumbered, but outmatched. And 36 men died before they could get back to, to Jericho. Verse six, and Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide, he and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord, wherefore, why hast thou brought these people over into Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we'd been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Hey, why did we even come over here, God, if you're just gonna kill us? You could have killed us on the other side. It would have been a lot easier for everybody. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and they shall environ around us and cut off our name from the earth. What wilt thou do unto thy great name? I love what God says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore, why liest thou upon thy face? Joshua, stand up. What's your problem, man? Israel hath sinned, and they have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they've taken the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put off even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but their backs before the enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore, except you destroy the accursed from among you. Hey, Joshua, you guys have sinned, and I'm not lifting a finger to help you until you clean your mess up. Until you make right what you've done, Joshua, don't bother laying on your face in front of me. Don't bother praying. Don't bother coming to me until you fix what you messed up. God's serious about this. Verse 13, up, get up, Joshua. Sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord of Israel, there's an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning there shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that that tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof. And the families which the Lord shall take come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take come man by man. Hey, we're gonna break everybody up by tribe tomorrow morning. And once you've broken up into your tribe, we're gonna break down into households. Once you've broken down into households, we're gonna go person by person until we get this thing sorted out. Now, mind you, we don't know exactly how many people were in the children of Israel at this point, but some theologians estimate somewhere in the ballpark of 900,000 to a million people and Joshua says, we'll go person by person if we have to. Verse 15, and it shall be he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has wrought folly in Israel. Hey, whoever did this is gonna pay the price. So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes and the tribe of Judah was taken he brought the family of Judah and he took the family of the Zairites and he brought the family of the Zairites man by man and Zabdi was taken. He brought again his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him 
and tell me now what thou hast done and hide it not from me. Achan, he says literally, for God's sake, tell me what you've done. For the glory of the name of God, tell me what you've done. Verse 20, and Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel and thus I have done. When I saw among the spoils of the goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. Behold, they're hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hid under the tent and the silver under it. He took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and all the children of Israel laid them out before the Lord. Achan says, I did. I was looking around and there was this really nice set of clothes there and there was some silver and there was some gold. I just, I just took it. I hid it under my tent. That's where you'll find it. And they went and got it and they laid it out in front of everyone. Verse 24 and 25 are super heavy. And Joshua and all took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them unto the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day and all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire. And after they had stoned him with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, therefore the name of the place was called the Valley of Acre unto this day. <laughs> Anybody who ever gets the idea that God is soft on sin, sin's not really a big deal to God. They just haven't read the Bible, simple as that. <laughs> Specifically have not read the Old Testament. And sometimes people say, well, God did stuff like that then. Please understand, God does not change. God has every right for you and I when we sin against him to call us out and to strike us dead should he choose to. Now, God was making an example of Achan in this case here. Hey, you break my law, here's the consequences of it. It was heavy. So the idea that we have a God who just kind of turns a blind eye to sin or God just kind of pats you on the head when you fail and, and tells you everything's gonna be all right, that's just not a picture of the God of the Bible. The God of the, the Bible puts sinkholes that swallow up whole families when they sin against him. The God of the Bible, you read, and people say, well, that was the Old Testament. Read the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira went and they said, hey, we sold this land for X amount of dollars, knowing it was a lie. And Peter said, did you really send it, sell it for that much money? Yeah, we did. Boom, struck dead right in the middle of church. <laughs> the wife comes later, hey, did you guys really sell that money for that, the land for that much money? Yes, boom, struck her dead. And he said, the same people that just carried your husband out dead are gonna carry your dead body out. Why did you lie to the Holy Ghost? Again, the idea that God is soft on sin is not a biblical idea. The fact that you and I can sin against the holy God and get away with it is not a biblical idea. God's expectations are clear. He expects holiness and he expects, expects righteousness. Very clear. 
we don't ever have to wonder where God stands on things. He's pretty clear in the Bible. Now I get it. Sometimes people come to what they might call a gray area, an area that might be open to interpretation. I still believe there's very few areas that the Bible leaves gray. I always think that there's principles that you and I can follow that will help us. For example, I had somebody ask me a few weeks ago, Pastor, if marijuana becomes legal in Hawaii, would it be okay for Christians to smoke weed? No. Well, show me in the Bible where it says, thou shalt not smoke weed. I can't. You got me. You got me. So if the Bible doesn't explicitly say it, then we can do it, right? No. There's principles all throughout the Bible that say we should be sober-minded, that we should live differently, distinctly from the rest of the world, that Christians should stand out in our holiness and righteousness. The Bible's crystal clear on that. We don't have to debate. So what God expects of us, he's not unclear. He expects holiness and righteousness. Now, mind you, we are still sinners. We are redeemed sinners. We are forgiven sinners. We walk in newness of life, Romans 6 tells us, but we still have a propensity. We still have an appetite for sin. So this is not a call to complete sinlessness. This is a call to sanctification. The word sanctified means set apart, made distinct, unique. And you and I, sanctification is not the process of becoming sinless. It's the process of sinning less. Think of it that way. Sanctification means I examine myself in light of God's word and say, hey, what do I need to fix? What's an area that I need to work on? It requires introspection. But you know the number one enemy of sanctification? Most people think it's the devil. Most people think it's this world. You know what the number one enemy of sanctification in your life and mine is? Our own heart. You know why? Because our hearts make excuses. Our hearts look for reasons why we don't have to obey the rules. Our hearts want to look for ways that we don't have to follow God's guidelines. Our hearts make excuses for us. You know, God says it's sin. I say it's really just a bad habit. God says it's a sin. I say, well, this is just how I've always been. God says it's sin, and I make excuses for it. I was a disciple and a man probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, he had a rough background. He was a, a gang member in Los Angeles and stuff like that. God had saved him and delivered him from a, a lifestyle of gang activity and stuff like that. And we were sitting down going through discipleship and he let a curse word slip. And he, he kind of covered his mouth after he said it. He's like, sorry about that. Go on a little bit longer, he lets another curse word slip. And I said, hey, I'm just gonna stop you right there. We don't tolerate that. And he goes, well, you don't understand. You don't understand where I come from. No, you don't understand who you are in Christ. Well, 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 my background's a lot rougher than yours. Tell me about my background. Tell me all about it. You don't know my background. You don't know my story. Well, I'm Hispanic, and so we have like a temper. Dude, don't use your ethnicity as an excuse for your carnal, carnality, your sinfulness. You can't. You have to own it. But you see, our heart wants to make excuses for us. Our heart wants to blame our sin on someone else. 
well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done what you did. I realized I was wrong, but <laughs> know this. You always ruin a good apology and you always ruin a good repentance by inserting the word but in there every single time. Sweetheart, I'm really sorry that I raised my voice at you and spoke to you that way in front of the kids. I shouldn't have done that. But I wouldn't have had to do that if you had just done what I told you to do the first time. Hey, you just ruined that apology and you just, you just dug yourself a deeper hole. We come to God sometimes like that as well. God, you know that I, that I want to share my faith, and, but, but you know that I'm scared to. And I, I just can't put myself out there the way. You know, I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not a people person like them. And so I can't just like share my faith like everybody else does. God, you know that, that I want to attend church, but I, I can't because, uh, you know, I, I got work and I got school and I got studies and I got homework. and I got God, you know I want to, but I just can't right now. God, I know I should tithe, but like I, I'm just doing the best that I can right now. You know that. And we begin to make excuses why we don't have to obey God. Achan looks at this stuff. Hey, look, all of the clothing was going to be gathered up and burned and destroyed. Why couldn't Achan just have a jacket? What's the big deal? You're gonna throw it away anyways. Why couldn't Achan just have a little wedge of gold? Did God really need all that gold? What's the big deal? Achan's heart began to make excuses why the rules didn't apply to him. And you and I are foolish if we think for whatever reasons God's word does not apply to us. You're foolish. You're foolish if you think after 2,000 years of church history that you are the exception to the rule. The first person that's come along in all of human history that the Bible's guidelines doesn't apply to. You're foolish and you're fooling yourself. But you see, it's very hard for us to admit when we're wrong. I don't know about you, I'm a very proud person in my flesh. I have a hard time admitting that I'm wrong. But being honest before God means being willing to say, I'm not perfect. I've got some areas I need to grow. I've got some areas that I'm working on. I'm not gonna minimize my sin. Some people are probably thinking like, oh my goodness, you wanted to drive in the carpool lane today and you beat yourself up about that? Good grief, what's wrong with you? Hey, I'm not gonna make excuse for my sin. I know what the law is and I wanted to break it today because it didn't apply to me that seeps over into every area of my life. I sat across the table for men who tried to tell me why it was okay for them to look at pornography. Just, just shut up. I'm gonna stop you there. No, I've got a really good reason. No, you don't. No, I do. You gotta hear, no, I don't wanna hear it. I don't. You have no reason whatsoever why you, it's okay for you to disobey God's word and look at a woman with lust, which Jesus calls adultery. Period, end of story. Well, it's okay for me to be angry with my husband. You don't know what he's done to me. Being angry is not an excuse. What he's done to you is not an excuse to live in the flesh, to not walk in the spirit, to not forgive. Well, I could forgive if he would do, I, stop, I'm gonna stop you right there, time out. The Bible says we're to forgive as God for Christ's sake has forgiven us. I forgive freely because I've been forgiven. I can't make excuses any longer about my sin. And if you want to continue in your sin, it's going to end badly, guaranteed. Not most of the time it'll end badly. 100% of the time it ends badly. 
book of James. Every man is deceived when he's drawn away of his own lust. And lust brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth, what's the word? Death. Done. Destruction. Misery. Self-hatred. Whatever you want. It's bad on every level. And I've even had people tell me before, Pastor, I think I can handle this. I promise you cannot. Pastor, I'm just gonna do this and I'm just gonna expect God to forgive me. May God have mercy on you if that's the case because you are willfully sinning against the grace of God. And here's what Achan forgot. We're free to choose our own sin, but we cannot choose our own consequences. I'm really excited about our new teaching series um, coming up this Sunday talking about affliction, suffering, and the sovereignty of God. This week, I'm just giving you guys a quick preview. This week, we're taking a look at righteous suffering. When bad things happen to people that are really walking with Jesus, how do we handle that? Does that really happen? Why does it happen? But a week from Sunday, we're taking a look at unrighteous suffering. That's punishment, chastisement, and consequences. This is God saying, I'm not okay with sin. And while we are free to choose to sin and continue in our sin, we cannot choose the consequences of our sin. Take a look at verse number five, if you would, in our our text tonight. Joshua 7, verse five. And the men of Ai smote them about 30 and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Sherebim and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. <laughs> All he did was take a couple of clothes, a little bit of silver, a little bit of gold, put it in his tent. What's the big deal? 36 people died. Because of Achan. 36 dads didn't come home to their kids that night because of Achan. It's a big deal. Again, the idea that God's soft on sin is just not a biblical idea at all. Sin is a huge deal to God. And that brought a great sense of discouragement. The people's heart melted like water. What has God done to us? even caused Joshua to question the goodness of God. God, why don't you just bring us here to kill us here? Should have killed us on the other side and saved everybody the trouble. Good grief. Joshua and the men that sat with him prayed and begged God to do something. God says, Joshua, get up, man. Seriously. Take care of your business. Find the person that has committed this sin and care for it. Here's a heavy thought that I want you to think about. When we choose to sin, we put the people around us at great risk. I'm not talking about uh, you were driving down the road and you lost your temper. I'm not talking about you, uh, you know, you uh, did something that you shouldn't have done or accidentally said something or forgot to read your Bible in the morning and stuff like that. I'm talking about when you choose to willfully sin against God and don't expect anything to happen. You're placing the people around you at great risk. If you're married, you're placing your spouse at risk when you willfully sin against God. 
If you have children, you're placing your children at great risk when you willfully sin against God. And I'm gonna help you with something tonight. You say, well, I don't have a wife, I don't have kids, I think I'm okay. You put your church family at great risk when you willfully and disobediently rebel against God. And because of that, as your pastor, I cannot give you a pass on that. Just can't. You're putting other people in harm's way. That's a big deal. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm not drinking, I'm not smoking dope, I'm not being sexually immoral. Is your heart right before God? Is there gossip? Is there bitterness? Is there anger? Is there frustration towards somebody? Is there a hurt that you've been hanging on to that you don't want to let go? Is there a lack of regard for the things of God? Maybe it's not sins that you're committing. Maybe it's the things that you're not doing. You're not reading your Bible. You're not sharing your faith. You're not praying. You're not spending time in community with other Christians. You're not showing the love of Jesus to other people. You're not giving the way that you used to. You don't have the joy that you did once upon a time. You're just kind of going through the motions. Hey, look. You don't have to do something to sin. Sometimes not doing stuff is a sin. And I gotta step back and go, whoa, is everything good with me? As I've been working through this process myself, and again, I'm not perfect, I have not arrived, and I'll be the first one to tell you that. It's, it's funny, God revealed something to me in my life probably just two weeks ago that was an idol. And if, if I told you tonight, you'd probably laugh at it, so I'm not even gonna share it with you. Because you, you're like, oh my soul. But God said, Anthony, that's an idol in your life. And I said, I gotta stop, I can't do it. I cannot. If it's going to keep me from a tight relationship with God, if it's going to hurt the people around me, if it's going to cause hurt to my church family, I can't afford it. Not going to do it. And I repented and I gave it to God. And we have to have that level of introspection. I realize you're not going to have that level of introspection every single day, but we need to pull over to the side a couple times a month and say, God, is everything good with us? Is there anything in my life that needs to go? If it is, I want to make it right. Sin always has unintended, far-reaching consequences every single time. Achan didn't want anybody to die. Achan didn't want anybody to get in trouble. Achan definitely didn't want to get called out on the carpet, but Achan didn't get to choose what happened. You want to see the far-reaching effects of Achan's sin? Take a look, look, if you would, in verse number 24. And Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the wedge of garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen. Stop. He took the silver, and the, the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters. That should cause you to perk up and all that he had, and he brought them to the valley of Acre. Joshua said, you troubled the Lord, the Lord is gonna trouble you today. You thought you could get over on God, but know this, you can never get over on God, and let me help you with something. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It will be exposed, it will be brought out into the light, and it might be 20 years before your sin comes out, but I promise you, it's coming out. You can't hide it. Here's the worst part. This hurts to read. And all Israel stoned him with stones. You look at that and you go, ah, Achan got what was coming to him. What did he think was gonna happen? It doesn't stop there though. And burned them with fire. Who or what is them? 
Oh, it's the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent. He burned his kids? God said, don't touch it. Don't take it. Don't mess with it. And God says, you got to judge it. He, could never, he didn't mean it to happen. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was a huge deal to God. Sin is never a small deal to God. I promise you, promise you that. I even need to check my thoughts that I have. I might not say something, but I think it in my mind. I was praying with a friend last night. And he said, pray for me. He says, I have a judgmental attitude towards other people. I just think it in my head, but it affects the way that I treat other people, and I gotta stop. I love that because the Bible says take every thought captive. I want to lock up every thought that I have and say, does this honor the Lord? Everything. Because my thoughts turn into actions. My thoughts turn into words. My thoughts turn into habits. My thoughts turn into lifestyle. And I'm just going to stop it when it's a thought. Know this, idolatry always displaces God from the throne of our heart. When idolatry takes over, something else becomes God. And God's no longer God. That thing is, whatever that thing is. And let me just tell you this. God refuses to take a back seat to anybody. God doesn't ride shotgun. God doesn't allow somebody else to sit on his throne. We took a look at that in Isaiah 42 last night. He said, my glory will I not give to another. I will not share my glory with any graven images. There are no idols. Uh-uh. God didn't take a back seat. You don't want God? That's fine. He's okay with that. But I promise you this. You do not want to go there. Final thought here tonight. Again, at the, at the end of every one of these messages, I'm going to give you a thought that you can pray through. Again, we're Bible-believing Christians, so we don't prescribe prayers that people memorize and pray. That's not a biblical idea. But I do want to give you a thought to pray through this week. God, is there any sin or idolatry in my life that I need to repent of? God, is there anything that's not right that needs to be made right? Show it to me. Give it to me. And here's the hard part when God... Uh, I was talking with some friends this afternoon. When God confronts you with a sin in your life, you have two choices. I'm going to obey what his word says, or I'm going to disobey. Well, I can't make any promises. Then you choose to disobey. Well, I'm, I'm not saying I'm never going to do this again. Then you choose to disobey. I'm not going to leave the door cracked on sin. I've heard people say before, well, I don't know. I might actually do that again. I, I, I'm not going to say that I won't. Then you, you just left the door open cracked enough that if you ever want to walk through it, you have the ability to walk through it. You know what you need to say to your sin? I am repulsed by my sin, and I need God's help every single day to lay it down and never pick it up again. And by the grace of God, I'm going to find victory day after day as I put my flesh to death. That's somebody that's serious about their sin. On the flip side, is like, well, I'm going to try to do better. No, friend, you cannot try to do better. Next, am I putting myself or others at risk due to my willful rebellion? 
Again, I'm not talking about mistakes that we make or problems that we run across from time to time. I'm talking about a, a sin that you're just not willing to deal with. You're putting a church family at risk. I had a talk with a guy several years ago and I said to him, I said, friend, I want you to know because of your sin, you're placing yourself, your family, and our church family at risk by not willing to repent. And he said, well, I'll just go to a different church then. <laughs> you're a cancer to every body that you attach yourself to as long as you're willfully disobeying God. You can't do it. And there have been times in our church family's life where we have seen God remove his hand of blessing, I believe because there was sin in our church. There have been times where someone with a wrong spirit has come into our church and caused division and we had to ask that person to make it right with God or leave and they left and our church was better because of it. Because sin cannot prosper in a healthy church. It just can't. Your family will not prosper as long as there's sin that's not willing to be made right. And for me, I've been going top to bottom, racking my brain, asking God to search every crevice in my heart. Is everything okay between me and you? If it's not, please let me know because I want to make it right. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing tonight. I don't know what it is. I couldn't name off every sin if I wanted to tonight. And that's not the idea behind this. Well, pastor hit on the sin that I'm struggling with, so I guess I got to do something. No, 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 no. The Holy Spirit needs to hit on that sin with you. And some of you sitting here right now know exactly what it is, exactly what it is. Don't wait until destruction comes on other people. And some people will look at this passage, well, again, that was the Old Testament, Pastor. God doesn't punish people for their sins like that. Read Hebrews 12. God chastises his children. And if you're a child of God, you'll receive chastisement and it will not be pleasant. So just make it right. Make it right with God. Most important thing in the world, if you're here tonight and you do not know for sure that you're saved, do not let your sin take you to hell. I'm not trying to put doubt in people's mind. I'm not trying to cause you to question your salvation. I'm trying to give you full assurance of your salvation. If you're here tonight and you don't know for sure that you're saved, don't leave here until making things 110% right with God. Christian, if you're here tonight and there's sin in your life, you need to confess it before God. Make it right so that you can move forward. I'd encourage you to do that. You know the great thing about our God? He's loving, he's gracious, he's kind, he's patient, he's long-suffering. But he's not gonna be long-suffering forever. When our kids make mistakes, we lovingly correct them. When our kids continue to make the same mistakes, we're gonna exact a little bit heavier discipline. When our kids are willfully defiant and disobedient, we might go so far as to spank. When our kids ratchet up a notch, we can't just sit back and go, well, we tried our best. No, nope, God won't either. God's gonna continue to lovingly correct you to bring him back to himself. And God will do, use whatever means he needs to to draw you back to himself. Let's not go there. Let's just make it right tonight with God. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.